I've already seen bad jokes in my timeline. G'day, Stephen. I can't wait to hear Troy drone on about the new drone. I will be droning on about the new drone because it's really, really cool. And everyone's going to love it. It's super, super cool. So just a perfect, like, geeky, techy thing for today. Uh, lots of stuff today. Lots of stuff today. Today is going to be a long one today for, uh, for folks not in this part of the world. Today is morning, <laughs> so it is coffee time. Stuart's here. Good evening, morning. Happy Friday, Easter. Yes, so it is Easter Friday, which means I get a day off work, <laughs> which is not how it works for me. I'm going to talk about today being my seven-year anniversary of not having a real job. I just uh, just tweeted a link about that. But uh, let's uh, let's jump in. I've got a, I've got some stuff I keep meaning to talk about the last two weeks, and I've forgotten. So I'm going to make sure I read my notes this time. I'm going to start with the sponsor. Fortunately, I don't forget the sponsor. I don't think I've maybe once I've forgotten the sponsor. Every other time I remember. Sponsor this week is DTAC. Detect and prevent weak, leaked, shared passwords with ePass. We're going to talk more about passwords today as well. A patented privacy compliance solution used in 40 countries. Try it for free. DTAC has been there on the sponsor bar before. Uh, DTAC is from, or rather DTAC has the ePass, the only solution in the world to provide an insight on enterprise password security. Uh, German-based country as well. So a big g'day to everyone over there uh, and everyone in those other 40 countries that they support. Now, in the byline here, I'm proud to sponsor Troy Hunt, the author of Have I Been Pwned? That's me. DTAC offers two months, two free months of PSC installations of ePass valued in total at $50,000. Well, qualifying entities must be companies with at least 500 employees. Okay, so I don't qualify. <laughs> this is basically just me, me and Charlotte. Uh, but if you are from a company with 500 plus employees, give them a go. Big thanks to them for sponsoring the blog again this week. All right, so where do I begin? I'm going to begin with the thing that I've forgotten the last few weeks and I really have to talk about today because it is only next week that I'm traveling again. Upcoming events. There is some cool stuff on here. So here's what's coming. Uh, next week, I'm going to be in Sydney. My second trip <laughs> to do a talk in person since 2020, the beginning of 2020. Going to be at the Akamai Security Summit, and this is going to be on Wednesday next week, 20th of April, if you're around Sydney. Uh, so I'm actually going to be talking in the afternoon, doing a keynote then. I've got a bunch of new material in there, a bunch of new stuff. Now, just in case you're hearing that going, like, isn't it all new? I do so many of these talks that I do reuse stuff. They're still all live or organic, and I just repeat the whole stuff, and I tell different jokes, and there's different things that have happened. But this is, like, mostly new, 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 new. A lot of stuff about... Ukraine, some people might have seen me tweeting about, uh, has anyone seen tweets from Anonymous? I'm air quoting for people listening to this later on. Tweets from Anonymous encouraging people to go out and hack stuff. I'm going to be talking a lot about that. Uh, I've got some... Uh, oh, I'm not going to even spoil what's in there, just in case someone turns up. But there's some really, really funny stuff in there that I think is insightful. I hope so. So I'll be in Sydney next week doing that. I'll be away for a couple of nights. Uh Catch up with some friends as well. Have some beers. Should be nice. Next big one. NDC Melbourne in June. This will be the first NDC conference that I have been back to since I was in London in January, February 2020. And we all know what happened 
after that in terms of any of us being able to go anywhere. So that's a massive one. And of course, it's a massive one for Charlotte as well, given we know each other from the NDC conferences. She no longer works there. This will be the first time we see all of these friends that we've spent so much time around the world with uh, for so many years there to actually see everyone in person again under very different circumstances given a relationship now as well. So this will be the first time that we've seen all these people since we got engaged and all the rest of it. So they're going to be super, super cool. So NDC is going to be really good fun. I'm not sure if I'm meant to say it publicly or not, but I'm doing the keynote before the party. So that's going to be the fun talk. Uh, and I have demanded that people have the ability to have beers at this talk because <laughs> it's going to be really good fun. Uh, also yet to go on the agenda, uh, Ari, my 12-year-old son, is going to be doing a coding for kids camp. So he's going to be up there teaching other kids how to do coding. I'll talk more about the tooling and everything he's going to use later on. But uh, he has done that in the past in London and Oslo, and it's been, a, it's been a really big hit. So if you were in Melbourne around that June period, 2024 June, we'd love to have you there at NDC. Also on my list of events here, go to Copenhagen from the 3rd to the 7th October. That will be remote. I won't, I don't think <laughs> I'll be in another country then. Um, I need to work out how I'm going to do that because it's like just after my wedding and we probably should have a honeymoon. But anyway, that'll be there. I'll be married, man. That'll be great. NDC Sydney, 10th to the 14th of October. So that one is also coming up. Uh, that'll be great. Also, going back, seeing people in person, really, really cool. And there'll be all sorts of other online things between now and then. If you go to my blog, right-hand side says upcoming events, or you go forward slash 2022 events, and everything is listed on there. All right, so that's that. Now, I'm going to go through my list of things here. I did, uh, I did put this in the description of this video, and it's in the little image there as well. Now, first thing here is, as I mentioned earlier on, Today is my anniversary of leaving Pfizer. Uh, in fact, it's even better than leaving Pfizer. It's the anniversary of Pfizer asking me to leave. And the best thing about when they ask you to leave, so long as you're not getting fired, <laughs> is you get a redundancy. Now, I'm just going to go and find this blog post. Oh, so hard to remember a life like that. Um, for new listeners, I spent 14 years at Pfizer doing classic ASP and then ASP.net and then I was an architect another air quote for people just listening later on and uh, by the end of it I was pretty happy to leave I uh, I've spoken a bit about that in my book in fact I think that was one of the preview chapters I put in the book book still coming too. I had a meeting with Rob this week we are all guns blazing on this we're gonna just knock this thing out of the park soon so 15th of April 2015, it was my last day at Pfizer. It was the first time I had ever actually written publicly about Pfizer because, you know, everyone knows Pfizer now as the, the, the company that's being injected into many of our bodies to try and, doesn't stop you from getting COVID, to try and reduce the likelihood of you getting it or and or reduce the side effects if you have it. Anywho, I digress. Back then... People knew Pfizer as Viagra. Like they really didn't know the name Pfizer, but they knew what Viagra was. They also make, make, made, still do, Lipitor for cholesterol, Zoloft for depression, and a bunch of other things. Massive, massive, massive pharma company. And I had a normal job. 
Certainly at the beginning it was a normal job, and then over time I ended up with this regional role which meant I'd spend more time at home because of funny hours and things like that. But for the most part, uh, exchanging time for money. Like that's literally, I guess, what most jobs are. And I just scrolled down. And, and in fact, this is one of the one of the blog posts that's going into my book, so I've got to reread all this shortly. But I had this image at the end, and I always like to sort of go back and have a look at it and just see how much this reconciles with with the way life has panned out. And this image here, it's an infographic from uh, Chess Media Group. And it's titled, The Evolution of the Employee. So this was me seven years ago, leaving that job with the redundancy. So this is what I was saying before. The redundancy is really cool because redundancy is they pay you to go. Uh, And I've said publicly before that they paid me almost two years worth of pay uh, because they made my job redundant after so long and they had good provisions. The evolution of the employee, and then there's like a past and then there's a future. Uh, now, just in case anyone wants to have a look at this as I go through it, I'm going to drop that in the uh, in the comments over here. Now, in the past, it says work nine to five. In the future, work anytime. Yep, so that's pretty much, <laughs> pretty much worked out. Uh, unfortunately, it means pretty much working all the time were it not for my self-discipline, which I don't always have. Another one here, work in a corporate office. Now it says work anywhere, and there's a little figure under a palm tree. Yep, nailed that. <laughs> nailed that. Absolutely nailed that. Use company equipment versus use any device. Kind of, kind of. This was sort of in a, I guess, from a BYOD era. But, uh, oh, well, now it's just me and Charlotte. So, yeah, we just use whatever we, <laughs> whatever we want. Focused on inputs in the past focused on outputs now which is fair because when you're independent people don't really care for the most part how much time you spend on something they just care about what you produce which is great and one of the the great things not great things one of the greatest things that annoyed me with that job and this is not just criticism of Pfizer this is just what it's like to have a job is no matter how hard I worked or how well I did I really had for all intents and purposes, very little control over what I actually earned. I might get a CPI increase each year. Sometimes I got nothing. One year actually went backwards. It's complicated. And I'll talk more about this in... uh, There's a a good conference. There is a Hack Your Career version 2 in here. So for those of you who haven't seen my Hack Your Career talk, I talk a bunch about this. There's a, a, a new one to be done at some time. Past, climb the corporate ladder. Future, create your own ladder. Yep, yep, that's worked out well. Past, redefined, predefined work versus customized work. Past hoards information. Future shares information. I've open sourced a lot of stuff lately, so yeah, okay, that's that seems fair. Past, no voice. Future can become a leader. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Past relies on email. Future relies on collaboration technologies. This definitely sounds like a consulting company <laughs> made this. I still rely on email, I'll tell you that much. Two more. Past was focused on knowledge. Future was focused on adaptive learning. Consulting company. Past corporate learning and teaching. Future democratized learning and teaching. Now, ironically, that was always Pluralsight strapline, like democratizing education. So I guess that's reasonable. Look, I mean, what I will say, and just as I talk about this, I've got all these ideas about talks that I would really like to do around 
career and future and everything. But as I sort of go through this, it's like I'm I'm just super super happy at how life has turned out in a post corporate world. And what's quite funny is I, and I'm winging this, but I'll do it properly in a talk one day. I think a lot less about things like money now and a lot more about what is it that I... I blew so much time doing like password purgatory, just so I have to finish. I've blown so much time doing other just random shit that has got absolutely nothing to do with any sort of commercial interest or anything like that. But somehow it's just turned into so much more. Where when I've just focused on the things that I, that I want to do that either just scratch my itch or because I think that they're a good thing for the community, great things have come as a result of that. Uh, yeah, so I should put that in a talk. That's really insightful, Troy. Well done. <laughs> Wayne got distracted. Try and pay attention, Wayne. <sighs> okay, let's move on. Drone. Let's talk about the drone. I have the drone here. Now, just for way of background, I've had drones before. I have crashed every single one of them. But they've always been like a drone worth tens of dollars that I've gotten at a toy store and it just seemed like a fun idea, and then it ends up in a tree or in a wall or something like that. And it wasn't until a couple of months ago when my friend and fellow conference speaker, Heather Downing, was here, and she had a DJI mini drone. She'd travel here from the US, our first international visitor (laughs) since 2020. And she flew this drone around. It's like, this thing was just freaking amazing. And like the drone looked really cool. It was so stable. It looked really easy to control. She got some epic footage. It was just after it had massive rain here and it's just seeing the water all brown and the clouds hanging over the sky. It was oh, it was super, super, super cool. Uh, and then I had a good chat to, to one of my one of my closest friends who also has a drone and he had a DJI Air 2S. Slightly higher spec, more sensors to make it harder to crash into stuff. And I was like, yep, that's me. I've crashed enough drones before. I don't want to crash again. So here's what I've got. I'm going to pull this out and describe it verbally for the folks listening to this later on. First of all, I've got this really, really sweet carrying case with it. It doesn't come with this, but because I am going to be on a bunch of planes and things like this where it comes with me, I thought I'm going to get a nice protective case. So, ta-da, this is what's in the box. Let me run you through it. Um... The drone itself, it weighs, I think they said it weighs about 560 gram or something like that. So if you look at it next to my face so it focuses properly. The big thing you see on the front is there's a, there's a camera. In fact, it's behind a plastic shield. If I pop that little plastic shield off, you see the camera is mounted on a, on a gimbal. And one of the things that's just insane about this drone is like how stable it is when it's up there flying, even when it's windy. I was playing with it uh, yesterday at the tennis club uh, and my plan originally was I was going to just like do some aerial stuff of uh, of Charlotte playing tennis and it would look really cool and it would make it artistic or something. It was too windy. I was convinced I was going to crash into a fence or something. But even when it was up there really windy and I was just showing my coach how it works, the drone sort of like wobbling around in the wind, doing a pretty good job of maintaining position. But the footage was just perfectly stable. Anyway, so it then opens up like this, and then you fold the blades out. I've got to talk about some of the reactions I got too. Oh, jeez. Should know. If I tweet something, (laughs) I'm going to get some weird reactions. 
All right, and then it all opens up like this, and then you fold all the blades out, and that's it. That one is now good to go. So that's what the thing looks like. Now, a large part of it is actually battery. So this is how big the battery is. And I got the, uh, on the advice of others, I got the fly longer pack or whatever they call it. So there's actually two more batteries. Each battery lasts about half an hour of flight. So that if we're out somewhere for the day, you know, half an hour really isn't enough. Uh, but a little bit more time and you can get a lot more stuff, a lot more footage. There's sensors all over it. Like if you look at it front on, you can see four different sensors here, which are sort of pointing up and forward and then forward. You look at the back, there's another two on the back. Now all these sensors are used to avoid obstacles, which is good because of my aforementioned history with drones. On the bottom, there are yet more sensors. There's also a light on the bottom as well. So it's just, it's just very, very cleverly packaged up. I'm going to put that on the desk over there. I'll show you the controller. So the controller it comes with looks like this one just here. It's got joysticks that sort of sit in the bottom so the whole thing packs flat and then you take the joystick out and then you just screw it in like that and you pop the other one out and you screw that in and then there are some physical buttons and then what happens is you pop the top up like that and you slip your phone into there and it's got a physical cable to connect so you're not dependent on wireless for your controller being your phone to talk to the actual physical controller of the joysticks here and then it's very basic stuff it's like okay one controller goes up and down and moves left and right and then the other one goes forward and backwards and sideways uh, and that's that's basically it there's then a few little things like there's a little toggle just here <laughs> Fozzie says give us a live demo oh don't tempt me man don't tempt me little toggle here this just pivots the camera up and down now the camera can go a hundred percent down so it looks straight down which is really cool if you want to do like overhead stuff i was doing some stuff in the house the other day and it was like wow i really need to paint my roof but yeah it looks cool so is that um return to home it's got a little button here it says h so this rth return to home what's sort of super cool about this is it's Obviously, it's got like motors and a camera. It also has an altimeter, so it knows how high it is. It's also got GPS, so it knows precisely where it is. So this whole idea of return to home is that there are certain circumstances where you, you want to be able to get the drone to come back to where it left off autonomously. So for example, if you lose sight of it, so if it flies away, can't see it anymore, you press the button and it will fly home. And then within the configuration of the app, you can say, uh, when you return to home, you must be flying at least this high. So for example, 50 meters and that will clear the trees. And then it will come back and it will land pretty much in the same spot. I haven't really tried that much yet. I saw a video yesterday where someone did it and it landed like four or five meters away. But when you're thinking about like, how do I get it back if I've lost it? Well, you're gonna see it before it gets back to the spot. It can also do return to home if the battery gets too low and it's like, look, I need to come home now. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to make it home. Uh, and it can also start to return to home if you lose signal too. Now, I'm just going to check this. What's the range? I think it's like five kilometers or something, like something beyond what you can see anyway. DJI Air 2S range. Uh, 7.45 miles, 12 kilometers, is it? Damn. 
Now is a good time to talk about the regulations. <laughs> so, um, is one of the bits of feedback I got on Twitter in a polite way, which is nice. Different parts of the world have different regulations on what you can do with drones. I was chatting with uh, Scott Helm just recently, who also has a drone, and he's like, wow, you get to fly that near your house. We can't fly it near a house in the UK. They have to be out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, yeah, our only restrictions here are, see if I remember all these, you cannot fly it above people. So it's not like I can sort of go down the beach and... Okay, that would be weird for all sorts of reasons, but I can't like go down the beach and just look straight down at people sunbaking. Uh, you can't fly within 30 metres of people, so you've got to give them clearance, obviously, in case something goes wrong. You must keep it in visual sight. You cannot fly it just with first-person view. So if you've seen the ones where you can have like goggles, can't use them in Australia unless they're indoors. Now, for all of these things, there are commercial drone licences and you can do other stuff, but this is what it's like for numpties like me. So even for this one, although I can look at the screen and just fly it around based on what's on the screen, legally I've got to have visual sight. Cannot fly it above 120 metres. I didn't really know how far 120 metres was or how high it was. I mean, I know what a metre is, but just in my mind, I couldn't picture what that was. It's bloody high. Like I'm, I'm like, am I going to lose my drone when I see it go that high? Uh, and then the usual stuff around not flying it anywhere near airports and things like that. But what it oh, and the only other thing in Australia is you can't fly it at night in Australia, uh, which I guess makes sense. Again, it's like keeping it in visual sight, being able to control it. Uh, but of course, it's the same set of rules that apply to everything from the crappy ones that I've been crashing through to the ones that actually have some sophistication. And I imagine this one would be much safer at night than the other ones that I have crashed in the past. But what it means is that I can like go out the back of the house here and I can fly it around and get cool shots and things like that. Uh, obviously, I can go out in the middle of nowhere and do the same thing. We're going off on what may be our most epic holiday ever. In eight days from now, I will be in a place in the absolute middle of nowhere where I really want to take this and get some epic, epic, epic shots. So I just need to learn how to use the thing. I've been playing with it. I went over to mum and dad's. I've got some some space there. Dad hadn't cut the grass, so it wasn't real good for the drone. I had to like, find a little patch of stones on it. Uh, I've had a bit of a play out the back of my place, but there's not a lot of empty space. So my theory yesterday was I was going to go to a big park with loads of room that's actually in a really pretty place as well, but it was just too windy. It was like 20 knots, and I was like, uh, going to lose the drone. So hopefully today I'll go out somewhere cool. Uh, and then I'm going to start chucking it in the jet ski, take it cool places. And I think a lot of this for me is that there's there's all these experiences that I have in life at the moment, particularly with the kids their age and particularly with travel and things. And for the same reason I bought an iPhone 13 Pro Max and got the Pro cameras is I just want these I want these memories, uh, and I, I think that capturing them with a drone just gives you an entirely new perspective on it. So stay tuned for that. Now, I'm going to talk about some of the reactions in a moment. I thought I'd just look at the comments while I take a bit of coffee. Uh, Wayne says, I almost pulled the trigger on one of these last year, but you need to get a license here in the UK, which isn't hard, and insurance, which was enough to stop me. So let's talk about insurance. Good point. Um my very good friend who has one of these is someone I go wakeboarding with a lot. His son was taking some really good footage uh, when my mate was wakeboarding and sort of follows behind. It looks awesome. So anyway, 
he's out on the boat. This is probably a few months ago. And he's got the drone on the back and he's, he's holding it. And it, it just hovers back of the boat. So we're on the water, obviously. Hovers like this. And then it does this. It goes upside down, straight into the water, sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Gone. That's it. And everyone's just like, holy shit. Like, what, what just happened? It's gone. We're all shocked because drones like this are a pricey purchase. His home and contents insurance actually covered it for, for the local Aussies. He's with NRMA. Um, covered it with a $500 excess or something like that. My company will not cover drones under any circumstances. Now, mind you, he pays a massive premium too. So, you know, maybe it all evens out. But uh, DJI does have a program, which I think was about $169, where they will replace a waterlogged drone or a damaged drone with, uh, I think it was like a $500 excess. Uh, and then they'll replace a lost drone for like an $800 excess or something to that effect. So there, there was an insurance policy there, which, which wasn't too much. So I've taken that out based on my previous experience with drones. What else is in here? Fozzie, it's incredible shots you can get out of such a small drone. I remember when most of these were pretty big. Yeah, totally. Uh, incidentally, that is by default runs at 4K. It can run at 5K. The frame rate goes down, but 4K, it's just it's just amazing. If you have a look at my Twitter Twitter feed, you'll see some shots recently. If you look back again today, I'm sure you'll see some more later on. Fozzie says, cannot fly into plane yet. Yeah, don't fly them into planes. Uh, that's, that doesn't work out well for anyone. Justin, Google some of my Mavic Pro shots. Justin, drop them in the in the chat if you've got them. I'd love to see those. I will I will live stream my reaction because I think they're going to be amazing. Dennis says your drone footage is amazing. Is it hard to fly? It's ridiculously easy to fly. Now my kids were saying they want to fly it, and before I got it, I was like, "There's no way in hell you're going to fly this." I will. Certainly for Ari, given he's 12 and he's a sensible, mature kid, I will go to a park and let him fly it there. I think one of the things that's different about this is that the drones I've had before, you know, they, they were toys. You're, you're rough with your toys. This is like a flying camera. You know, this is the way I think of it, a flying camera. And it's designed to be smooth and slow. Like the best drone footages you see are smooth, slow, you know, gently panning shots. And in fact, there's a one of the, few physical buttons on the controller. There's a little slider here. You can go from cine, normal, or sport. Now, on cine, it just slows everything down, so it's nice and smooth. Normal, less so. Sport, I haven't tried because I've heard a bunch of people say I was put on in sport and then I crashed. <laughs> so I think I'll, I'll wait for sport until I know what I'm doing. Point is, is that I'm happy letting, uh, letting a responsible kid fly this. Now, in answer to the question about is it easy to fly, everything's so automated. Even takeoff, right? So you, you can take off manually. You just pull down both the controls and then you go up. But there's a button on the app to take off. So you set it in a space where you've got a little bit of room around it and then you press the button and then you press and hold and it just takes off and it hovers 1.2 metres. And it just hovers perfectly in place. And then when I was flying this in my own backyard a couple of days ago, Charlotte was like, look, do you have to keep like adjusting it and everything? It's like, no, I was like, I'm just holding the controller flat in my hand and it's maintaining a perfect position. You can also program it to do things like, uh, and someone can tell me the correct terms here, but like follow you. So you can, you know, the camera looks at it, uh, it finds an object, say a person, you click on that person, that object, it now knows that that's the thing to follow. 
you start walking off and it follows you, which is amazing. Uh, there's You can do the same thing with cars. It recognizes a person as a car. You can do hyperlapse where imagine a time lapse. We've all seen time lapse before. So just one frame every, you know, say 10 seconds, and then they get stitched together. So it looks like the sun's rising really quickly or something. You can do that with these, but the hyperlapse is you can get it to like go in a circle around an object and it will fly around a little bit, take a photo, fly around a little bit, take a photo. And it's ridiculous how cool they look. It's, I don't know how the techno. Oh, how does the technology do that? <laughs> well, they say any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And it feels like that. Stuart, I'm surprised Scott hasn't crashed his given his track record with bikes and snowboards. That's a fair comment, Stuart. I, I support that. <laughs> Not only do I support that, I'm going to screen cap that and send it to Scott. He's away on holidays at the moment. He'll uh, he'll appreciate that. <laughs> Fozzy, don't say ridiculously easy now. It is ridiculously easy. Uh, Justin says, print some, uh, 3D print some outriggers made with pool noodles. Mine made, made mine safer over water. Files on Thingiverse. Wow. Incidentally, since you mentioned Thingiverse, for those who haven't looked at it yet, go and check out printables.com. So this is Prusa's answer to Thingiverse. It's like Thingiverse, but good, <laughs> because Thingiverse has gone so unloved, including when I tried to disclose data breach to them. Uh, yeah. If I look for drone pool noodle, will that find it on Thingiverse? Oh, wow, yeah, look at that. DJI Mavic 2 lightweight water lamp. <laughs> that's really cool. I'll drop this in the chat for anyone that's interested in this. But it's, uh, yeah, it is literally a little outrigger that you then attach chopped down pool noodles to so you can land on water. The thing is, like, the sensors on it are so good as well. I feel like the likelihood of it actually landing on the water is... Uh, is very low so far. I imagine also if you did actually attach pool noodles to it as an outrigger, it is going to affect your flight stability and it's probably going to get buffeted a lot more by the wind and it might even be in the camera's view, some of that. Who knows? Raj says, what is the model number of the drone? It is a DJI Air 2S. They have dropped the Mavic title uh, from this model now. I don't, don't know why. Now, some of the comments from the peanut gallery when I shared this the other day, I sort of talk about that. Uh, because it's Twitter, not everyone's nice. <laughs> and they're just like stupid comments where people are like, oh, I wouldn't trust it because it, uh, they were either explicitly saying it or, or implying it. Wouldn't trust because it it's Chinese. You should buy an American drone. <laughs> Do you make drones? I made a joke. I was like, look, I looked at Australian drones, but... They just didn't have the technology, and it's just like a photo of a boomerang. Uh, I'm honest. Not only am I not sure who else actually makes drones, but at least off the top of my head, I cannot name another drone manufacturer. Maybe like Parrot. Remember Parrot did those toy ones. But DJI obviously massively commands the market. So that it just that just doesn't worry me. Um, and I've no. <laughs> someone actually made the point that someone who was very critical uh, of my choice, and I won't even bother mentioning what they said because it's just stupid. Someone pointed out that this person had tweeted that from an iPhone, which of course is made in China. 
uh, albeit with an American parent company. If you're just going to like not buy anything made in China, you, your options in life do become somewhat limited. Let's just say that. Okay, feel free to ask me any more drone questions. I'm going to go on to the next topic here. Password brute force charts. <laughs> I hate this. This is a bugbear of mine. Um, someone shared a chart the other day. Now, their intentions are good, so I don't want to necessarily be derogatory because of that. There's a chart here says, uh, time it takes a hacker to brute force your password in 2021. And then we've got number of characters down one side. It goes from 4 to 18. I'm going to drop this... Uh, this tweet in the chat window for those following along at home uh, goes from 4 to 18. And then on the other axes, on the x-axis across the top, it says numbers only, lowercase letters, upper and lowercase. Numbers, upper and lowercase. Numbers, upper and lowercase. We've all seen this before. And then effectively what it's saying is that if you have four numbers only, it will be brute forced instantly. If you have... 11 numbers, it takes 2 seconds. 12 numbers, it takes 25 seconds. And then you basically get to the point where... I mean, here's, here's a good example. If you have numbers, upper and lowercase letters, 14 characters, it will take 9 million years to crack. Now, the, the point of this is that it then compares 2021. So remember this 9 million years. Numbers, uppercase, lowercase, 14 characters, 9 million years. There's a second chart, which is 2021. Now, the 9 million years has dropped to only 750,000 years. And if you're a responsible person, 750,000 years is too soon, isn't it? It's <laughs> too short. <sighs> Stephen says, do you have a chart on how much the chart bugs you? It's, it's whatever the most big one is, <laughs> the biggest one. Here's what really bugs me about this. I could go over to... Pwned passwords. Let's just pick something off the top of my head. Uh, we'll go to passwords on haveibeenpwned.com. And if I search for P at S-S-W-O-R-D, how many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now that is eight characters all mixed up. Number, upper, lowercase letters and symbols. Apparently, this will take 39 minutes to crack. Is it in Pwned Passwords? Oh, yeah, it's in there 83,129 times. Now, obviously, what this chart is trying to say is that in a perfect world where there's a perfectly even distribution of characters that are randomized, and the only way you can crack passwords is to randomly generate strings, inevitably in a GPU somewhere, in that perfect world, it would take, let's go back to the 14 characters all mixed up, 750,000 years. Where do I even begin with everything that's wrong with that? I'm literally stuck for words on how stupid this is. Now, I have written before about how password strength meters help people make bad choices. But I think the most obvious thing is, is that this works on multiple assumptions, which are just not the real risk that we're dealing with. So the first assumption is that passwords have already been obtained from a protected system and are stored as a hash. It is not clear, not from this infographic, what hashing algorithm we're talking about, but stored in a hash, and then they are brute forced offline. I 
would argue the greatest risk we face at the moment in terms of passwords being brute forced is credential stuffing. So this is authentication to an online system using known breached credentials. It is literally someone making a post request to a resource somewhere, username, password, does it work? Now, whilst offline, you can make literally tens of billions of requests per second, or tens, you can, let's rephrase it, you can calculate tens of billions of hashes per second, if it's something like MD5, and compare them to an offline hash. When it's online, it's not tens of billions per second, it's not even tens per second, not against one account, because you get account lockout very quickly in most cases. So this is really only relevant after the system has already been compromised. Now, of course, this is why we have hashing in the first place, because if a system is compromised, we get some protection afterwards. So it's still important how we hash, but this is not the biggest problem. The next problem we have here is that this is all working on the assumption of people creating random passwords. And this is the absolute heart of the issue. People will create random passwords. So when we see 14 characters and we see that the composition requirement here is numbers, upper and lowercase letters, that there is a randomized distribution of those characters in the password. And this is not the way well over 90% of people create passwords. They do what you and I and everyone has at least done once or twice or 200 times previously in their life, which is they're using words. And then they're reusing the words. And this is why when I go to pwn passwords and I put in password with a capital P and an at symbol and all the rest of it, it just comes back and say, yeah, we've seen that before. So if you want to play the cracking game with that and someone's working through a dictionary, whack that down in the near instantly column. And it doesn't matter also if it's 18 characters and numbers and uppers, because apparently that's 438 trillion years. No, mate, it's like a second if it's been seen before. And that is the crux of the issue. Working with charts like this give people information that is absolutely useless for creating passwords. It bugs the hell out of me. Learn about our methodology at hivesystems.io forward slash password. Hivesystems.io, I haven't looked at this yet, forward slash password. Now, this is not to argue against the necessity to have strong passwords. It's to argue against the definition of what is strong. Uh, looking for a high-res resolution to download. We can download that. Uh, what did I say? Oh, this is MD5. If I hash the word password using MD5, as someone who sees a lot of passwords, certainly for any modern-day system, you don't see MD5. I thought very carefully before I said that. I still see MD5 in data breaches because legacy. But these days, it's, it's like bcrypt, work factor 10 or 12 or something like that. And if you're wondering how much slower is it to calculate a bcrypt hash rather than MD5 hash, think tens of millions of times. So take this chart and where we have, let's pick an easy one, where we have one hour. Call it 50 million hours instead. It's like literally a factor of 50 million off. Because really all they're trying to do here by comparing two different charts is they're just like, it's Moore's law in pretty colors. <laughs> it's like computational power has improved in the last year. Therefore, it is faster to crack things. Graphics cards are using here. Uh, RTX 2080 and then an RTX 3090. So they're just good GPUs. 
I just, I just don't know how this is a story. I really don't know how this is a story. And it's, it's the wrong story because this is not what we should be focusing on. Because if you had a bloody password manager in the first place, and then you said just randomly generate me a string, you fall down into the however TN, trillion years you want on this chart, and it's unique, and then the chart no longer matters anyway. I just, I just find this a, a frustrating thing to look at. As Stephen says, if you hit the right password, it will unlock in zero seconds. Fozzie, did you brute force an eight-character password instantly? Define instantly. If we were to think, so let's go back in history. Uh, Troy Hunt, no clothes. Google this with me. <laughs> no, seriously, it's a thing. No clothes, password hashing. People spitting out their coffee or their beer right now at the thought of that. Um, here you go. 26 of June, 2012. Blog post for me. A password hashing has no clothes. And this was when I went through and showed that the ASP.NET membership provider, which was using SHA-1, salted SHA-1, was really pretty useless in terms of the speed at which we could calculate hashes. Just wondering if I put a speed here. Uh, cracking, cracking, cracking. Uh Okay, so I've used Hashcat here. I've got a speed here of 258 million, 250 million hashes per second. Now, to the question from Fozzie about instantly. If you get to make 250 million guesses per second, and we're talking about, uh, what are we saying here, mate? Eight characters. So eight characters is going to be, so seven characters would be up to 10 million eight characters would be up to 100 million. You're making 250 million guesses a second. So let's call instantly, let's call it about 400 milliseconds. Put it this way, a lot less than what it took me just to explain that. So I think we could call that instantly. Geo says it's all SKCD all over again, correct horse battery staple, which of course is the, the very, I would almost say infamous uh, XKCD cartoon about picking random words and creating passphrases, which I'm supportive of, very, very supportive of. Uh, I have something like that, say, for the master password on my one password. I have really probably, I'm thinking off the top of my head, maybe three different cases where I need to remember a password because I don't have easy access to my password manager when using it. Uh, so, for, for example, the master password for the password manager. Everything else is randomly generated. So as much as I like passphrases, they should only be used in a tiny handful of cases where you actually have to remember it. Stephen says, even worse, a large number of banks actually don't even encrypt your password when they ask for certain characters from your password. Oh, now banks are a different story. Um, how long we got? <laughs> Go down the rabbit hole of banks. I've written a blog post about this, about banks and passwords. And I wrote it because I did a talk at one of Australia's big four banks, a multi-billion dollar bank, and I was sitting there with their CISO when another part of the show was on. It was like a full day thing. And we're chatting because this bank had been in the news about weak password requirements. 
And he was sort of laughing and, and basically saying, do you really think the only thing we do when someone logs on is to compare the username and the password someone provided with the ones in storage? It's like, no, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And he wasn't going to tell me, but it will be everything from if they're coming from a recognized device, uh, if they're showing any signs of being a bot, uh, if their geolocation is where we expect it to be, if their interaction with the screen is reflective of the way this human normally operates. There's all these other things. It is not just comparing two strings. Now, in this blog post I wrote, I do say I think the optics are very bad. It is bad to say it can only be 12 characters, can only be numbers, can't have special characters. All characters are special. Any of that sort of stuff. So for all of those things, I would much rather open Slather, make your password as strong as you want. However, we can't put banks in the same category as like catforum.com. Catforum.com is almost certainly just comparing strings, and that's it, and there's no other criteria. Banks, very, very different story. <sighs> just noticed, I'm looking over here at Hive Systems, a bold bit here, a quote. What about the elephant in the room? What if my password has been previously stolen, uses simple words, or I reuse it between sites? Our password table focuses on the idea the hacker is working in a black box situation and is having to start from scratch to hack your hash. Yeah, well, that's the whole problem. And then they've got a table down here. Well, okay, to, to their credit, to their credit, they've got a table down here which then has all the way down to 18 characters and all the way across to all the complexity and everything's just instantly if you're reusing a password from somewhere else. Oh, there's a reference to have I been pwned here. Now I feel sorry for... <laughs> having taken the piss out of them. Cracking passwords this way assumes that the attacker has acquired a hash digest of one or more passwords, such as those found in password data breaches on Have I Been Pwned. Uh, thanks. <sighs> that I just don't see a place for graphs and charts like this. I appreciate the shout-out to Have I Been Pwned, but these charts got picked up and circulated very broadly in social media as in the context of here's how to create a strong password and it missed all of the nuances which then fit down in a much more comprehensive block. Have I talked myself out of that? Anyway, you get the idea. Other comments here. Dallas says, really annoys me when websites disable copy-paste. Got a blog post about that. So, <laughs> i got time. It's Easter Friday, not going anywhere other than to fly my drone. Troy Hunt Cobra Effect. I was really happy with the title of this blog post. One of the things I pride myself on is finding cool titles for blog posts. So I titled this The Cobra Effect That Is Disabling Paste on Password Fields. Now, this was May 2014. This was eight years ago. Why are we still talking about this? I'll drop it in the chat. And the, the Cobra Effect dates back to uh, colonial occupation in India where... The invading British forces, or the occupying British, uh, same thing, occupying British forces weren't real happy on all the snakes that were around, so they offered a bounty on the snakes. And if the local folks brought a dead cobra to them, they would get, in exchange for the dead snake, some money. Uh, which I guess the Brits thought, okay, this is cool, we'll just get rid of the snakes. Now, of course, the locals were smart on that, and they went, so hang on a moment, you buy snakes. So the more snakes, we have the more money we uh, we'll just breed the bastards so they just start breeding snakes so the cobra effect is like law of unintended consequences you set out to do something but because of what you've done to try and achieve that you actually achieve the opposite thing and the, and the relevancy to uh pasting on passwords is you're trying to make passwords stronger 
but by disabling paste and in some cases explicitly killing password managers, you're forcing people to dumb down their password and make it worse. That's still a thing. It sucks. Agree with Dale. Hmm. Stephen says, having worked in a building society, that sadly didn't include any additional protection like those. Uh, now, of course, you're talking at the bank there and the other mitigating controls there. The, the challenge for us as individuals is we don't know, right? Not unless you have inside knowledge like Stephen did here. But if we're logging onto our bank and we just see shitty password requirements, we can only take that at face value. We don't know what other controls are behind that. Like By design, disclosing that would weaken the system. Let me go to something else. This is a really interesting piece from Krebs that has been, uh, in my view, a long time coming. I'm surprised it's taken this long. Raid forums. Now, this may actually be the first time I've ever said raid forums verbally, certainly on a public broadcast like this or in a blog post. Now, for those unfamiliar with raid forums, raid forums was a clear web forum. No dark web. In fact, this is one of the examples I've used in private when people are like, oh, is, yes, it's in the dark web. It's your data's on the dark No, it's on RaidForums, clear web. RaidForums.com. It's a forum for people to exchange data breaches. And I inevitably spent a lot of time there because many of the data breaches that I was sent or was investigating were posted to raid forums. Very often, raid forums would be the first places discussed. And many of the actors whose names pop up time and time and time again in the press as attribution on have I been pwned were on this forum exchanging data. And it, it, it turns out it was, uh, it seems to be a, um, a Portuguese administrator who is 21 at the time of their arrest in the UK. Looks like he started this forum when he was 15. Now, this forum was not just exchanging data, and I, I, I've, I've used screen grabs of it in multiple talks in the past where I show people very explicitly talking about using this data to abuse other people, uh, abuse their, their financial situation, identity theft, uh, doxing, like all, all the sorts of stuff that are not just outright illegal but just, just shitty things. So a lot of data being exchanged there, a lot of data being sold there, data was advertised there. And in the Krebs piece here, just because I seem to be doing this now, I'm going to drop this in the chat as well. In the Krebs piece here, um, there was obviously the administrator here, Omnipotent, and Omnipotent was very, very noteworthy on the site, which appears to be this Portuguese bloke. Uh, looks like there he was also effectively operating uh, escrow and I think it's been charged with money laundering let me just search for money uh, I might have read another blog post there don't quote me on that one what else is in here that was really interesting Omnipotent profited from the illicit activity on the platform by charging escalating prices for membership tiers that offered greater access and features, including a top-tier God membership status. Raid Forum also sold credits that provided members access to privileged areas of the website and enabled members to unlock and download stolen financial data, means of identification, and data from compromised databases, among other items. 
Members could also earn credit through other means, such as by posting instructions on how to commit certain illegal acts. Now, some weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, Raid Forum, you could no longer authenticate to. Uh, so I did have an account, not under my own name or identity, that I would use to be able to log on to see some of this content. Um, I just noticed a comment here, and I really want to clarify this very, very quickly. Uh, where is it? Someone has asked, was the Troy Hunt there me? Uh, I'm going to come back to the other comments here. I now can't see where it is. Oh, here you go. Uh, Patrick, was the Troy Hunt, at Troy Hunt, account on Raid Forums yours? No, <laughs> absolutely not. And I never went out publicly on Twitter and said that because I never wanted to talk about Raid Forums. So someone created an account there under my name, put my profile photo on it, which of course anyone can easily do, and then shared a whole bunch of data breaches from it. I have never posted data breaches to anyone else other than the organization who has been breached. I'm going through one at the moment, which I mentioned last week. And if they ever reply to me, I will give them their data because it's from them. Like, that's fine. But never, ever, ever put on public forum. I've written a blog post in the past about, no, I will not share data breaches. Never, ever, ever. So I'm confident <laughs> in saying that. So no, that, that wasn't me. I had something under another handle. And the only reason it was there was, was literally to be able to access some uh, areas of the site where you needed to be able to authenticate. So it's really interesting to see this taken down. And what I found fascinating about it was that it just ran for so long. I mean, this was there for years and years and years. And in the clear web. And then people would sort of say, well, maybe it was there because it's easier to monitor. Maybe it's been infiltrated by the feds already. We've certainly seen this happen with things like dark, dark web marketplaces. Uh, and law enforcement is in there and they're watching people. I tell you what, I would be very, very nervous if I had shared any data on that site, purchased any data on that site, posted instructions about how to break into things, discussed any illegal activity. No matter how careful you are with Tor or VPNs or anonymous proton mail, email addresses or any of that sort of thing, I would be shitting myself now because you know that all of those logs and all of that data is in the hands of all of the law enforcement agencies we see listed on the front of the website now. Uh, another interesting thing about this, actually, come back to that site. If you do go to raidforums.com, we see everything from the Swedish police through to the NCA in the UK, through to the FBI. Uh, Australia not represented. Uh, we do good stuff in other places. But a whole uh, who's who of law enforcement agencies, they have all of that data now. And I, I just kind of laugh a little bit because you just know, you know that people have slipped up time and time again in their own OPSEC if they're trying to remain anonymous. And of course, most people on that site absolutely positively wanted to be anonymous. But particularly for folks that were there for some period of time and were using it in the way that most people use that site, sooner or later they've slipped up. And even if there's nothing now which might tie them back to it, that data is it, it, like it's in law enforcement hands forever. And two years from now, you go and use that same username somewhere or connect from that same IP address or do something else that ties you back to it. And you're going to have problems. Fascinating, fascinating. Also fascinating that it's children. 
So omnipotent, 15 years old. And not just a kid as in, you know, like we look at 18 and 19-year-old people and go, oh, they're nice kids because I'm old now. But like literally legally a child. So if he had been caught in the first couple of years of running this, he wouldn't have even been tried as an adult, wouldn't have been named, none of that sort of stuff. But children are able to set these things up. Reminds me of the lapsus situation the other day where they've arrested, what was it, like an 18-year-old in the UK with like $40 million worth of Bitcoin or something ridiculous like that. It's amazing what kids can do. The thing I found interesting about this, and I think it might have been when leaked source was taken down, is that not only do we have all the law enforcement logos here, but it looks really cyber. It's got like, you know, I'll just drop this into the chat here. If, uh, so long as you're happy going to a uh, now law enforcement owned URL. I have just gone there with my real IP address because I'm not done anything wrong. Uh, it's very, very cyber. <laughs> it's like there's green matrixy stuff. And the thing I found most interesting, and this is what some people pointed to to say it was not legitimate when it was leaked source or leaked base or one of these ones got taken down, is they've got the Raid Forums logo on there. And I find that that really fascinating. It's literally the Raid Forums logo there. Anyway, Raid Forums are shut down, so now there's no more problems with exchanging data breaches. Except, <laughs> that's just not how it works. Now, there are multiple other services and I have one in front of me now. I'm not going to name what it is for the same reason I never named what Raid From was before. It relates to a data breach that I will most likely load today. It is the same actors, at least it's the same names, the same avatars. It, for all intents and purposes, looks identical to Raid From. It's the same software. It's even the same, the same styled fav icon with an acronym for the name of the site. And everything's just moved to somewhere else. So, <laughs> I just what what's been achieved from this? I guess they've rounded up a bunch of people. Certainly, round up omnipotent, but like everyone just moves on to the next thing. Uh, and that's before we even get into things like all the Telegram groups that are just like massively exchanging all this data. So, I don't think that this will have any impact whatsoever on the spread of data breaches. But hopefully it will make people think more about the the likelihood of getting caught if they're redistributing data breaches. Let me read the comments here. Justin was showing students in his cyber class how easy it was to Google hashes from your 17 gigabyte online dumper passwords. Cool. Nice to know that it's being used uh, for exactly what it's meant to be used for. George says, funny though, I did uh, I did all the red flag things I could once to try and set a trigger of bank response and still got nothing. Apparently logging in from an Eastern European country didn't set it off. See, this is this interesting nexus, isn't it? It's like maybe you're logging in from, ah, uh, we can just name them, Russia. <laughs> you're, you're VPNing into Russia and you're logging into your bank from there. Does that set off a red flag? What we're often seeing with more intelligent authentication schemes is more of a, 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 a concept of confidence. So let's imagine at the moment when you log on a cat forum, you're not logged on, 0% confidence who you are. You have the right username and password, 100% confidence of who you are, and you're in and you can do everything. Now imagine we had a spectrum where we could start to say, looks pretty good, username and password right, uh, from the right country, but a client that we've never seen before 
in an IP address in a location we haven't seen before, 50% confidence. So you can look at your bank balance, but if you want to pay money to anyone that you haven't paid to before, we're going to give you a challenge. And that challenge might be an SMS, you've got to enter the PIN. Uh, it might be an email. Yes, I know there's problems with SMS and all the rest of it, but it is still something in addition to just knowing the username and password. So think of it as a spectrum with confidence levels and what are the metrics we can use to build confidence and what are the different things we can do at different points in that confidence level. Dale says, as a Brit, the story for disabling paste is a hilarious response. <laughs> Sounds like we agree, though. Yeah, there's the whole Cobra thing. Stephen says, I once had to argue against a security question. What day of the week were you born? As it asked for a random characters. <sighs> the only way I could figure out what day of the week I was born is I'd have to Google it or like ask Siri. Uh, that's just, a, oh, that's ridiculous. Stephen says, you could work out the day of the week easily uh, or know the last three characters were D-A-Y. <laughs> oh, surely it's not asking for the last three characters of the day of the week you were born. That'd be great. Hmm. Expedition says hello from two hours south of uh, Newman, WA. Drove me to Perth. G'day. It's, uh, I've got to go south of Perth. I'd like to go to Margaret River. Haven't been there yet. Oh, incidentally, I was speaking about events before. I didn't mention there's going to be a thing in Tasmania in July. I'll come back to you on that. It's not organised yet, but I'm going to do a thing in Hobart. Uh. Patrick says, bad username hygiene is definitely going to catch up to many active members of raid forums. Yeah, like using that same identity. But of course, as someone else just pointed out there, there was someone on raid forums with my username. Um, but it would be very easy to establish that that is not me. I'm not just saying that to try and cover my ass. It's definitely not me. I did reply to people privately that raised it and said, is this you? I was like, no, that's not me. Patrick said, bad username hygiene was partly how Ross Ulbricht, creator of Silk Road, was identified. So Ross had asked a question on Stack Overflow, which was very easily attributed back to the pretty distinct nature of Silk Road. Uh, and they had been able to, to partly map him that way as well. Justin says, Laps's Telegram group was an interesting read. Now... I'm obviously not going to name what this group is or rather what the Telegram group is. I'm just wondering, is, is that still on there? Because they sort of said, oh, we're going on holidays <laughs> for a bit. Um, and then it looks like they've come back for a bit. Why is it so hard to see when the last message was sent on Telegram? March 30. Okay, so we, we haven't seen anything for the last couple of weeks on the Lapsus Telegram group. But as I look at, uh, and again, I'm not going to name these, but as I look at some of the other telegram groups here that that i keep an eye on you know there's there's a whole bunch of stuff here around uh data breaches which is very very up to date with loads of other stuff in here um <laughs> oddly enough one of these the last message on here is a, a link to a story about raid forums getting taken down all right i've been going for a while i do have one more thing here which is uh which is pretty straightforward one north macedonian government is now on have i been pwned now it's just sort of coincidental that the last two or three governments have all been from that part of the world i suspect people talk to each other so the last one north macedonia that's the 32nd governor the one before that was the serbian the one before that was the bulgarian uh, so the last three governments have been from around about that corner of Europe. 
So 32 governments in, which I'm pretty happy about. And again, I'm using the the very rough guide I laid out around setting the bar for government access. Uh, everyone has gone well above the lowest government on that list so far. So it's it's nice to not have to have that awkward discussion with them saying, sorry, I just don't think I like your philosophies very much. It's, it's nice when I don't have to do that. Stephen says, read day of the week. It could... And if fast for char nine, you knew the whole word was Wednesday. <laughs> uh, Brandon was very close to missing this, which I assume you mean it's this video, which is a uh, good time, Brandon. We are just wrapping up. Uh, I will be back here next week. I will have been to Sydney and back to do the Akamai thing. So if you're in Sydney next week, come and check that out. I think that's going to be pretty cool. Like I said, a heap of brand new content. That's it for now. I will come back and do this again in a week. So thanks for watching. I now have to go and finish up a data breach I was talking about last week. So stay tuned, watch out, millions of new records coming now because uh, I've exhausted every other avenue. Let's just say that. There'll be a blog post, you'll see it. Talk about that more next week. Thanks, folks. See ya.